Well, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that Jesus has promised he will live in us if we invite him into our hearts and our lives. And Father, we thank you for this word of your Son that we can read of tonight. And we pray that your Spirit would speak to us anew from it. Amen. Well, isn't that a great passage we've had read tonight? You might like to turn back to it. It's on page 1083. We're in John 15, and we're looking at the first 17 verses. It's a great passage, isn't it? Well, I wondered, as I was looking and uh, thinking and praying about tonight, I wondered, what is our experience of last messages? Perhaps you've been on the end of a last message from a parent as you leave home to go to university or you leave to travel to the other ends of the country or another country. Or perhaps you've been that parent who's been giving that message to your loved one. Or maybe you've even experienced the last message from a loved one who is lying there beside you, dying. Well, last messages, of course, are incredibly important to us. Emotionally, they're important to us, and they often reflect what the person giving them thinks are important. They often reflect, don't they, the love that that person feels towards those that they are speaking to. Well, here in John's Gospel that we are reading and looking at in our series in the evenings, we're looking at an extended last message that Jesus is giving his friends and his disciples. From chapter 13, we read of Jesus telling his disciples that he was going to be with them only a very short time. And then he was going to go somewhere where they couldn't follow. Jesus predicts that Peter will disown him. Jesus promises that they will do what he has done if they have faith in him. Jesus encourages them and promises them that they will receive help to carry on with his work of mission. Because this was the work that Jesus was sent by the Father to do, to bring salvation to his people. And they, that is his followers, are to continue with this work. Jesus states that they should be glad that he is leaving because it means that they can receive God's Holy Spirit and his spirit will live in them. We saw that in chapter 14. And last week, we saw how Jesus promised to give them peace when he leaves. Richard concluded last week, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. It's a great promise, isn't it, from Jesus? It was a great promise from them and it's a great promise for us if we follow Jesus today. And now we've come to chapter 15. And again, we read of Jesus giving more instructions to his followers concerning the work of his mission. And he uses a picture or a metaphor, if you like, that they would all have been very familiar with. 
that is the growth and management of vines. The growth and management of vines. It's an image, isn't it, that was very familiar to those people of the day. The vine was central to Israel. It appeared, in fact, over the temple porch. We read of the vine many times in the Old Testament. We see it in Psalm 80. If you look at Psalm 80, verses 8 through to 11, you'll see, look at the words. This is the psalmist saying, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. He's referring, of course, to the people of Israel in Egypt. You cleared the ground for it, and it took, took root and filled the land. He's referring to the coming of the promised land. However, we know, as we look at the Old Testament, that the Israelites failed to complete the task set by God to be a mission for other peoples. They, because they had turned to other gods. And of course, eventually, they will kill the Messiah. So, in contrast to the vine which had destroyed itself by disobedience, Jesus states in verse 1 that he is the true vine, the obedient son, through whose sacrifice and mission the age-old purpose of Israel would find fulfillment. The nations would be reached and salvation offered to all. So that's the first part of the image of the vine. The second part of the image of the vine is the production of fruit. Why? Because the aim of the vine grower is to maximize production of fruit or grapes. Now, in order to do this, the stems, which are failing to produce grapes, are cut, or we use the word pruned, and destroyed. Those stems which had previously produced grapes are cut back, which had the effect of encouraging more grapes to fruit. Now, this metaphor, this picture, would have been seen across large amounts of land in Israel. Surely this is a great method of teaching, isn't it? Using pictures that we can learn from. Well, here we got it in this passage then that Jesus plainly states in verse 1 that he is the true vine. He is the plant which will grow branches that will produce fruit. The farmer, or the gardener in this case, is the person who does the work and reaps the rewards uh, of the vine. And that person is God the Father. The branches that will possibly bear fruit are his followers, his friends. These are the ones that God, the gardener, will cut back and prune. The fruit will only come because the pruned branch is attached to the true vine. And so what's the implication of this? Well, the implication of this, of course, is that the followers of Jesus will only bear fruit if they are firmly attached to the plant that is, to Jesus Christ. Now again, we can apply this in two ways. The primary way is that of the task set by Jesus to his followers, to go and carry out his work of mission 
into the world. And that's given in verse 5. But secondly, it can also be applied to the inward relationship between the friend or the follower and Jesus. We see this with reference to love and obedience to his commands in verses 10, 12, and 17. We see this clearly because this attachment is what Jesus is saying by using the word remain. Look at that word remain. He uses it 11 times in 17 verses. So it must be really important. What's the word remain actually mean? Well, it implies, doesn't it, that one is there. One has been there and one is going to be there in the future. We know, of course, that the disciples had been there in the past. They had spent three years with Jesus, watching him, listening to him. They had participated in his time with people. They had experienced the responses people made to Jesus, both positive and negatively. They had seen the witness, they would witnessed the power of his teaching, but also the power of his spiritual healing and miracles. They'd experienced some of the time that he'd battled in prayer. They'd seen him in the temple, clearing it in righteous anger. For three years, they had been prepared for this time when he was going to leave them. They'd experienced the love and the anger of Jesus. A time that will prepare them for what is to come when Jesus leaves them and dies and goes to heaven. So, Jesus, having given the importance then of mission to his disciples, he then gives them secrets or clues on how they can effectively carry out this work. And this is what I think is really helpful to us tonight. So let's have a look at these effective ways of carrying out mission. The first is this. For effective mission, there needs to be pruning by the gardener or the father. Look at verses 2 there. Two types of pruning is taking place. In the winter, he cuts off the dry and withered branches. And in the spring, he removes the rank and useless growth from the branches. Why? All to ensure that there are maximum grapes in the autumn. The drastic cut is given in verse 6. Look what it says. Those who don't remain in me will end up in fire totally destroyed. Now Jesus here may well have been thinking of Judas, who appeared to be the same as the other disciples, but the temptation of wealth led him astray. Jesus is showing us that there will be false followers who don't show true spiritual fruit in their lives. So we need to be careful, don't we, that we make sure of our calling and our election. The Apostle Peter writes of this in 2 Peter 1 verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, he writes, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich and welcome uh, into the ten- be welcomed into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Saviour. 
So then that obviously begs the question then, how then is this pruning to take place, both for them as Jesus' disciples and for us today? How is it going to take place? How is this pruning to take place? Well, the main pruning is given in verses 2 and 5. And it refers to the cleansing work, the purging effect of Christ's words that the disciples would have heard during that three years that they spent with him. Now, of course, we haven't been with Jesus, but we find Jesus' words in the written Gospels. And so as we meditate upon them, we pray them into our lives, we need to allow them to change us so that we become more attractive and authentic in our Christian living and witness and mission work. So the first type of pruning then takes place by Christ's works, words working within us. The second type of pruning can take place through difficult, hard circumstances and trials. Now, of course, none of us like unpleasant, hard times. It won't be pleasant at the time. It will be painful. But later on, it will produce a harvest. If you want to see more of this, look at Hebrews 12. The whole chapter is concerned with this issue of pruning. But if you look at verse 5 of Hebrews 12, the writer says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And so we have a message here, that pain is one of the products that reaps spiritual growth. The saying, no pain, no gain, applies here. We see this, of course, in the plants. The deeper the cut, the more it produces. And we also see it spiritually. God the Father prunes because he wants spiritual fruit from his followers. So let's not dismiss the role of pain in developing our reliance upon Jesus. If you want to see examples of this, read the biographies of many of the great Christian saints through the, through the times of Christendom. So the first way, then, of effective mission is to prune. The second way for effective mission is to be within Christ, to remain in me, the Son, he says. For spiritual fruit-bearing, we must be in a relationship with the Son. Look at verse 4. Now, of course, we need to realize that fruit-bearing is not humanly possible. It's Christ's work through us. A continual dependence upon Jesus through the Holy Spirit and submitting to him in all things. These are what is needed for God to be glorified through fruit production in our lives. So we need to remain in Christ. We need to be obedient to Christ because remaining is conditional upon obeying as seen by Jesus' example to his father. The sign of remaining heart is not only a sense of inward serenity but of a clear conscience before God and man. The apostle Luke writes of this in Acts chapter 24 verse 16. 
He says this, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Now note what Luke says here. He says he strives, he works hard. It's not something that comes naturally to him. Jesus' words remain in us. is something that we need to work at. But it's not legalism or it's not hardship either because what's the result of it? Well, the result is joy, both for Jesus and his disciples. Look at verse 11. It leads to joy. Submission to Jesus leads to liberation and joy. It's the image of the vine in the Psalms, and this joy in the lives of his people will be attractive to those that don't follow Jesus. Look at Paul's teaching concerning the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, he writes, is joy and love. Fruit bearing, as a result of pruning and remaining, includes all the works, of course, of Jesus and all the ministries and grace of him. So the second clue then for effective mission is to remain in Christ. The third clue we're given here, for effective mission, there needs to be prayer in God's will. Praying in Jesus' name. Look at verses 7 and verses 16. He says, "For you can pray for whatever you wish, whatever you ask for. But of course it's conditional. It's conditional if you remain in me. When we remain in Christ, we're in such harmony with God's purpose that the desires of our hearts lie in accord with what God wants. And so the prayers are answered. So when we seek to do God's will, when we seek to do the work of Jesus in his mission, when we long for the world, in other words, for those that are lost and those that are in need, prayer potential is limitless in the work of mission and the work of outreach of the church well what's it do it advances on its knees in other words through prayer and so we can rejoice here we rejoice tonight that we've made an appointment of two youth workers that's fantastic but if we want to maximize our mission for God's kingdom here in Norwich, here in UEA, this parish, we need, don't we, to commit ourselves to sacrificial prayer. Sacrificial in terms of time and place. And so I ask myself, and I ask you tonight, how much time are we prepared to give to prayer for mission here in Norwich? Are we beating at the church doors to let us in so that we can join in prayer for this community? For effective mission to do Jesus' work here on earth, there needs to be prayer in God's will. But fourthly, we see in this passage also, for effective mission, there needs to be love for fellow disciples. Look at verses 9 and 10. 12 to 17. A Christ-like love between Christians is a fundamental requirement for this effective mission, this doing of Jesus' work here on earth. 
Now, of course, it's Christ's work to draw others to him, but Jesus is shown to people when we love one another. But you might well say to me, Nigel, what will this look like? Well, Jesus states, as he has loved you. How did he act? He died on a cross. He laid down his life for us all. And so too we should be prepared for laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And of course, this is a test for each one of us. Do our differences and our grievances against each other stand before the love that Jesus has for us? Well, unfortunately, church history shows us, doesn't it, how differences, divisions, hostilities between different groups hinders the work of kingdom growth and mission. When communities of Christians allow their differences to hide the love of Jesus, this hinders mission. But the reverse of all of this, of course, can also be seen. When we look at great times of renewal and revival, like the Welsh Revival, We see Christians joining together on their knees in prayer, pleading that God will convict and bring their neighbours and community into relationship with Jesus. Let us be reminded that he gave all for, for us, so much so that he calls us his friends and not his servants. And as friends, this will encourage us to share Jesus with others, so that they can, can, can become a friend of him as well. Now, in case we get a, a false sense of our own importance, Jesus reiterates in verse 16 that he called them. It's his calling, his grace, that will allow them to go and take the message of salvation to the world. So likewise, we don't need to be concerned with our own ability in this. No, Jesus called us so that we can share in his message of love. If we're daunted by the command to love one another, we can look back on that promise we heard last week of Jesus, that he will send his Holy Spirit to help us to become more like him. Ask and you will receive. So, we've had four ways in which the work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus can go ahead. But what should this fruit that he is telling us look like? What should be the characteristics of the disciple in the church that bears this fruit? Well, I point you again to Galatians, to Paul's writing in chapter 5, verse 22. And there it is in its fullness. You can look at the whole chapter later on in your own time. But it's summarized here in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit that will enable mission work to continue. But it's not short-term fruit. Some will respond with enthusiasm and then die away, as Jesus predicts. This is a regrettable fact of human nature and missionary experience. Jesus says this in his parable of the sower. No, what he requires is fruit that will last. This is what we need. But what was the purpose of them bearing this fruit? 
Why was Jesus saying to them this news? Why was it so important? Well, we read in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. The ultimate purpose of the coming of Jesus is the glorifying of the Father. We read of this in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 28. And it's realized primarily through the effective mission of the disciples and the Christian community. The fruitfulness of the believers is is in part and parcel the way that Jesus glorifies the Father. And so, as we become involved in mission and as we become fruit bearers, bearers, we show ourselves to be true disciples of Jesus. Look at verse 8. This is the fruit that honours God and brings glory to the Father and Son on that day when Jesus will return again. This is the fruit that we can be praying for, both individually and as a body of believers here tonight. So let me encourage each one of you tonight that we can dwell in Jesus. We can dwell in him through reading in his words, seeing his actions in the Gospels, and we can be empowered by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray each day for this, so that God's kingdom is extended here on earth, in our time, in the years that we have been given by God. I was asked to give you a coffee uh, discussion question, and I'm hoping it's coming up on the screen, but if it's not, this is the one. It says this. How can we encourage each other in prayer for mission? How can we encourage each other in prayer for mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his concern for his disciples that he's going to leave behind and his concern for us in the 21st century. We thank you for his teaching We pray, Father, that your spirit would help us to bear fruit so that we might be faithful followers of you. Amen.